Hello and welcome to the EuroLeague Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Rob Scott, and as we enter the final week of the EuroLeague season, we have more playoff permutations than there are conspiracy theories about tanking. We look ahead to this week's games and look back on a round in which Milano lost at home, opening up the door for Olympiakos, who lost at home, to open up the door for, well, more or less anyone. Uh, Joining me on the line for all of that is Austin Green. Austin, where are you? I'm in Bologna right now. Excellent. Basket City itself. Um, were, the, were the Fortitudo fans still celebrating when you got there? No, I, th- I think they were probably hungover and at home by the time I got here. But uh, I'm going to Virtus Bologna, uh, their playoff game in the Basketball Champions League tomorrow. So I'm excited to see the other side of Bologna and their amazing fans. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know what that. I don't know what you just referred to. Some kind of Champions League for basketball. I don't know what that is. But we'll uh, we'll press on to talk about Euroleague this week on the Euroleague Adventures podcast. We'll be joined by George Rowland a little bit later in the show for a quick cameo. But first, Austin, let's get into last week's games. We saw Panathinaikos lose to a ludicrous Rudy Fernandez moonshot after they were up 11 with only five minutes left. We saw Milano, as we saw, as we said, pull an entirely predictable Milano at home performance to Fenerbahce. We saw Efes win a really dynamic game dynamic game over Basconia. Olympiakos went out with a whimper, but they're still alive. What, what grabbed your attention most last week? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing is both Greek teams blowing double-digit leads at home to lose against the teams that eliminated them in the playoffs last year. Like it was just such a such a beautiful symmetry from you know Panathinaikos and Olympiakos, who of course hate each other and have had their well-documented drama uh, for basically their entire existence and especially this season. And both of them, you know, with a chance to clinch the playoffs, uh, at least Panathinaikos for sure would have been in the playoffs with a win. Olympiakos maybe would have. I, I can't remember exactly, but both of those teams had great chances to get into the playoffs, but they just blew those double digit leads. So I thought that was, that was the uh, most interesting thing to me was the symmetry there with Olympiakos losing to Zalgaris. Uh, Panathinaikos losing to Rudy and his ridiculous skying shot that, that fell from the heavens. Uh, so that was for sure the most interesting thing to me. Wh- which one of those games do you want to start with? Yeah, I mean, well, we'll, we'll stick with that Panathinaikos game. I mean, it was interesting for me. I, I came into this game. Um, I think power just gone up by that 11 points. I only saw the last five minutes. And I'm, I'm based on that last five minutes, I'm just not entirely sure how they scored any points at all in that game. Their offense just ground to a halt completely. Um, they'd run a little, you know, using little ball screens. Madrid were going to a kind of soft switch. Dribble, dribble, dribble. There'd be a drive of no separation. Calathis had to take a couple of three-pointers when they just basically went under the screen and dared him to do it. Um, they missed key free throws. Um, I've got to say, Rudy, not just the, the final shot. He, he made absolutely great defense on Keith Langford. Um, yeah. Essentially, like, basically made Langford take the same kind of shot that he won the game on, except, you know, as as would have happened nine times out of ten with any player. Langford obviously bricked it. Um, I just thought, you know, we, we talked about Panathinaikos last week. Um, the EuroLeague Adventures podcast curse continues. Just, I mean, they, 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 they're never going to be a great sort of space to floor half court offense team. They, like, like we were saying last week, they rely on, on getting stops, getting deflections, which is a big thing that Patino has emphasized. Um, even, you know, even though they might not show up on the stat sheet, he wants them to get hands in passing lanes, create those transition chances. Um, because that's basically like how they manufacture points. 
And I just think, you know, somebody pointed this out on Twitter, which was, I, I, I'm apo- apologizing now, I can't remember who it was, but made a really good point that even though they were up late in this game, um, this could be a really bad matchup for, 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 for Power in the playoffs, if indeed they make it. Um, because they rely on Kalathis penetrating a lot. Um, they rely on him just darting in or you know going the wrong way off screens or, or relying on some kind of misdirection or just probing. And, they, and Madrid just have Walter Tavares who can stand there guarding the paint, um, deterring that dribble penetration. When that isn't going, when they can't get those lobs to the, you know, to the big men cutting on the baseline, man, this, this power offense was like, power has been the best version of themselves in recent weeks. They turned back into the worst version of themselves this week, and, and it did not look pretty. Yeah, and this, the scoring drought in the fourth quarter wasn't their only big drought in the game either. In the second quarter, they only scored three points in the first six minutes. And it was kind of uh, exactly what you're talking about, where Tavares was just roaming the paint and protecting it. And and the key thing for this POW team is their offense has to come from defense, like you mentioned, getting deflections, getting turnovers. And in the first quarter, that's how they were generating their offense. They won the first quarter 32-14. to 14, And the main reason for that was Real Madrid was committing turnovers. Uh, Real Madrid had five turnovers compared to just four made field goals in the first quarter. So it was great Panathinaikos defense. They were able to push the pace. Even on missed shots, they were getting out and running in transition. Kalathis is, of course, just a wizard in transition, whether he's throwing alley-oops or whether he's finishing him finishing himself. He's phenomenal in the open floor. So that was how Panathinaikos built their big lead. But uh, yeah, Real Madrid, they were able to get some shots, force Panathinaikos to play half-court offense, and then they, they, they just can't do that, like you, like you mentioned. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for Panathinaikos if this is the matchup. Real Madrid are locked into the three seeds, so they'll play whoever finishes sixth, which could be Panathinaikos. Uh, it will be Basconia if Basconia win next week. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But one of the other problems Panathinaikos faces is they have this incredible home court advantage, but Real Madrid just aren't scared of that at all. Like we saw in last year's playoffs, they won on Panathinaikos's floor after that, that game one where Panathinaikos uh, built like a 20 to zero lead and Real Madrid just looked scared. And we were talking afterwards about how they look like a boy band and Panathinaikos <laughs> is just a bunch of tough dudes looking for a street fight uh, with bad haircuts and in Real Madrid are just a bunch of pretty boys. And that's what it was in game one. But then in game two, Gustavo Ayon was amazing. Uh, Real Madrid calmed down. They won that game. And then, of course, winning in Athens just now. Like, they're, they're not going to be afraid of going into Panathinaikos in game three or game four and, uh, and winning that. So that's a tough thing for Panathinaikos, where one of your biggest advantages is your home court. But if you're going up against Real Madrid or Fenerbahce or Seska, even though they beat Seska, none, none of those teams are going to be phased by this. You know, if they were able to get the fifth seed and they were playing FS who don't have as much playoff experience then maybe but um yeah coming in at six seven or eight that's going to be tough yeah I mean we they, they basically they can't get to that fifth seed now um which is which is a real disappointment for them I think because yeah I mean in a series versus FS man like that would be that would be interesting um I have we're going to get to this a little bit later on um Euroleague tip my hat to, to the folks at Euroleague.net have produced these incredible um, incredibly useful and interesting playoff percentage chances, um, estimations or probabilities rather. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head exactly how they've been calculated, but I'm just going to take the numbers at face value. Um, as I said, we'll get to, to, to all of them out, all of them later, but 
Still rated as 76.56% chance of making the playoffs. Um, but their most likely opponent, like, you know, I, I suppose based on the probability of all these results going the way they might, um, is Seska Moscow. Um, the, the, the great big mainframe computer at EuroLeague headquarters thinks that power are going to finish, are more likely to finish seventh. So that would be, that, I, I would actually almost give them a little bit more of a chance against Seska, even though Seska has never lost a playoff series. But let's, well, let's get back to, well, yeah, sorry, so, go so ahead. Hold on. Sorry, before we do move on from that, they did sweep Seska this year, which is... That's, that's true. That's yeah, true. you know, they, they really, won, yeah. uh, Patino's first home game was against Seska. They won that. And then on the road in Moscow, uh, Kalathis banked in that ridiculous buzzer-beating three-pointer, which, you know, you, you don't want to count on that. Uh, Kalathis, like, he was one of eight from three in this game, which was much more... Uh, you know, in line with what you would expect. And almost all of those were open looks because Real Madrid wanted him to shoot those. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, expect that again, but they do have the confidence having beat Seska twice this season. Yeah, that's very true. The, uh, the buzzer beating three giver from the buzzer beating three taketh away, um, I guess for Panathinaikos this season. Let's, let's carry on our quick fire uh, roundup of, of last week's significant games. Um, Austin, I believe you uh, really enjoyed the Efes versus Basconia game. Yeah, this one was super fun. Just two teams that have great offenses. They play really enjoyable brand of basketball to watch. Like that, that's the kind of basketball that I love is just like the free flowing, open, uh, you know, tons of spacing, big men who can shoot it. Like Tibor Pleiss and Adrian Mormon were bombing threes for FS and Johannes Voigtman was launching them on the other end for Basconia and just so many cool guards. Like, these might be my two favorite teams to watch in the in Euroleague this season, where FS have Larkin, Bobois, and Misic, and then also Krunoslav Simon is kind of that playmaking wing. And then on the other end, I love Luca Vildosa so much. I just wrote a love letter to him on Twitter uh, with some of his <laughs> highlights from that game, where Vildosa had a career-high 23 points. It was the second uh, straight game where he set his Euroleague career high. He scored 20 in their win over Real Madrid the other week. But in terms of this game, it was incredibly entertaining. If if you want to go back and watch it, I'd definitely recommend it. It was 15 to 15 after the first five minutes. So both teams were on pace to score 120 uh, and just making shots left and right. Uh, of, of course, everything slowed down eventually. Uh, the, the key for uh, FS really was Tibor Pleiss had an awesome game and, uh, and Basconia really couldn't stop him, which I thought was interesting because I think v Vincent Poirier is one of the best big guys in EuroLeague right now. But, uh, Pleiss was just getting putbacks. He was scoring in pick and roll situations and FS just kept feeding him. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was the former Basconia guys, Larkin, Pleiss, Bobois, uh, who ended up killing Basconia on their home floor. And one other interesting thing from this game was that FS were already locked into the fourth seed and quote unquote didn't have anything to play for, which is something that we'll see a lot as we're previewing this last round where all of these teams fighting for playoff spots are going up against teams who don't really have anything to play for, but that didn't affect FS energy level or intensity or anything in this game like they were clearly playing to win Bryant Dunstan was out with an ankle injury but other than that they they put their full squad out there and, and they were going for the win like uh you know like they were fighting for a playoff spot as well so 
not every team is going to do that. Some teams will probably rest some key players, but that's just something to keep in mind uh, going into this last week. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw like bits and pieces of this game, and, and what I did see was it was really, really positive for, for FS. And I think I think you can credit that intensity to the fact that I I think there's a, there's an open spot in their rotation in the backcourt because um, we you know we were saying last week that it's really been Misic and Bobois really leading the charge this season, but Bobois only ten minutes did struggle. Um, Turkish uh, domestic player Bugrahan Tunce came in, got the start with his. With his rather enticing floppy hair, I thought. I, I just like the way this, this this guy looks on the floor. If that's not too strange a comment, um, <laughs> no, but he really hair, like, I think I think like this was this was something of a theme this week. Actually, we'll probably get to this when we talk about Milano. The return of the, the just the solid role playing Turkish guard because Fenerbahce pretty much saw off Milano with uh, Meli Mamatoglu and Sinan Gula on the floor throughout the fourth quarter. And it's cool to see these domestic players who may maybe get a little more burn in the Turkish league with the, the you know the domestic quota. Um, he just came in and did simple things and let Shane Larkin, who scored 19 points in 22 minutes, um, added five assists as well. Mitic, who only actually had seven points, but um, racked up 11 assists. And it's just like, I mean, we talked about the Mitic renaissance uh, last last week, and I kind of, you know, admitted that I'm going to take an L on my whole, uh, um, uh, you know, assessment of Mitic over the last couple of years. But, man, there was one play where he, he just, he faked one way around a screen. I think it was Pice who set it. Went, faked right, went to his left. And just like, okay, there was no one challenging at the rim. He didn't dunk in traffic, but just like glided down the rim and threw one down. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, this is not the kind of play that, that you know, the Vasa would have been making a couple of years back. Really, really impressive from him. But really what, what I think, um, you know, was the best aspect of this game from an FS point of view was, was Kruno Simon. You mentioned it. Such, such a Kruno Simon stat line. Just eight points, four assists. 25 minutes, nothing that would stand out as anything particularly noteworthy, but him and T-Ball Price were running two-man game. Just It was poetic in the fourth quarter, just side pick and roll after side pick and roll, um, finding Price under the rim for, for, for a bunch of dunks. Um, on Slack, you described, and this is, I was I was tempted to, to, uh, to steal this for Twitter, but, you know, my moral compass guided me away from it, so credit where it's due. You described the upcoming playoff matchup of T-Bar Price and Ante Tomic as giraffes having a fight. Like, um, <laughs> like, like I, smacking I, each other with their necks and everything. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And the, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a beautiful gif uh, of, of, of that that we could put into our preview. But um, yeah, I mean, this, this is going to be really enticing because I think, and I think, you know, we'll probably get to previewing the playoff season, the playoff series when we do, but... This is a really interesting matchup for me because both these guys can be inconsistent. Um, they're both kind of, you know, both similar body types, both ultra skilled. Um, you know, Tom, it's probably a much better passer, but I think Price um, really just operated exactly where he was. Probably this is one of the best games I've seen Price play in EuroLeague since that year with Basconia. Just um, setting like rock hard screens, rolling quickly to the rim, taking passes from all over the, you know, all, all directions. And just going straight to the cup and finishing, as you said, he hit um, he had a three pointer in, in a nice little side pick and pop there, um, which is something that he definitely has. And I just think that, like, I mean, you said like FS had nothing to play for, and if you're being ultra cynical, you could say like, of course, FS kind of pulled an FS and had one of their best games of the season when it didn't matter. But this was kind of like the best, almost the best version of this FS team. Mormon was just again just unstoppable from downtown. He had five of eight. Um, to go with eight rebounds, 21 points. This was FS laying down a marker, I think, to say, you know, we, we're, we're here. We're incredibly difficult to stop. Again, they just, you know, their role players do role player type things. Their star players 
are doing star player type things. And I just, I just thought it was a really um, useful game to, to gauge where they might be in the playoffs. Um, Basconia, you would be a little bit worried that in a more or less must-win game, they gave up 102 points, but honestly, it would have, would have been difficult for anyone to start this FS team. A really entertaining game, like you said. Yeah, yeah. FS was just rolling offensively. They Even on the possessions where Basconia did play good defense, FS just still hit shots. Like, everybody was on fire in this game. Larkin, Mormon had uh, 23, I think, or 21 at least. Plyce with 21 points, 12 rebounds, like you said. Like they, they were, they were just really clicking on all cylinders. Um, so yeah, super impressive performance from FS. And yeah, I'm really excited for that four or five matchup between them and Barcelona because Barca, they are a better team than Basconia. So I don't think it's going to be quite this easy for FS to generate points, but that's going to be a really fun matchup. We have the Tomic versus Plyce giraffe fight, like you mentioned. Uh, we have Pangos versus Misic in the Zalgaris Bowl. We have Toma Hertel trying to get some revenge against his former club. Um, we have a bunch of French guys going against each other, Hertel and Serafin versus Boubois and Mormon. And Mormon, of course, played for Barca. Barca also tried to sign Shane Larkin before he went to the NBA and probably also after he came back from the NBA. They were unable to get him, now have to face him in a playoff series. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I think it's just going to be a really cool matchup all around. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that that's the four five. I, I genuinely, genuinely don't know who's going to win that. You know, FS, I think should be favored, of course, with home court and with the way they've been playing lately, but that's going to be a great one to watch. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, should we move on to, I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of, we've, we've doled out our praise. We've said who we're excited about FS, Basconia. Um, even, you know, we're excited about Madrid and, and, and see what Panathinaikos do. Um, even in the, you know, that when they've been struggling slightly, time to hand out the uh, the demerits. Uh, Milano, a tough game um, against Fenerbahce. They would never particularly have been favoured in this game. I don't think Fenerbahce, as we've been discussing, up and down form lately, but have been grinding out the Ws. Uh, they lose ninety to one hundred and four. You give up one hundred and four points um, on, you know, on your home floor. Um, in a must-win game. I mean, they were back at the forum at least. They got the home court back. But, man, this this game just, I think, as I alluded to briefly before, just just said, just offered a really a really interesting contrast between, you know, the, the multi-million euro backcourt of uh, of Mike James and Nemanja Nedovic against, essentially, like like Uncle Sinan, you know, Earth, you know, long-term friend of the podcast, former podcast guest and the LA columnist back in the day, Sinan Guler, Melly Muniaglu um, in the backcourt, holding it down for the Turkish guys. You love to see it, you know. Fener extending the rotation, giving some guys, you know, a little bit of time off. Um, and all they had to do, all they had to do in the fourth quarter to pull this game away, the, the, the Fenerbahce backcourt was run simple, fundamental basketball, make the right pass, and it was just all too easy um, to score. James. You know, he he admitted it on Twitter after the game. I don't want to kill the guy. He clearly cares deeply. You know, he he's he's a. You can never accuse Mike James of not trying, but it just didn't go right for him this time. Eight points, um, one of eight from the floor, four assists, five turnovers, three um, on the old PIR. That's just not you know by his own admission not good enough in one of the biggest games of the uh, of, of the season. And I just thought if you wanted, you know, we talked about last week. You know, we'd love to see Mike James in a playoff series. I I still would. You know, I I don't think that would be a terrible thing, and it would be kind of a silver lining if if Milano did make it. But man, like just just it, again, not so much the loss for Milano, but just the way they went about it was. 
was 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 kind of a bum out, Austin. I know you didn't see this game, but like you know, any kind of thoughts about Milano uh, as we go forward? Yeah, I mean, just looking at the box score, like Milano, they scored ninety points. They shot fifty three percent on twos, fifty five percent from three, eighty five percent from the line, and they lost by fourteen. Like that's that, that's pretty crazy. Like uh, I, yeah, I don't know what was up with their defense in this game, but uh, clearly, you know, giving up one hundred and four points to Fenerbahce, uh, it it seems like Fener must have had it pretty easy. Kalinic had 22. Like how how was Kalinic getting his points? Because if Kalinic gets 22, what that would suggest to me is that he's getting a lot of easy baskets in transition. Uh, and Milan with 16 turnovers, like w- was that kind of the case where they were just committing turnovers? Fenner was killing them in transition. And then, like you said, just simple pick and rolls in the fourth quarter. I mean, I only saw, I only saw the fourth, I've got to admit. Um, so I, I couldn't really speak to how Kalinic got, you know, got his points. He got eight of eight of nine from the line. Um, and only took one three and missed it. So yeah, I'd imagine they were, I think I, I remember them basically just feeding him for some simple post-ups. Um, maybe early on in the fourth, just just getting you know getting the switch, getting him isolated on a you know guarded by a smaller guy, just feeding him a simple bounce passer, and and I'm pretty sure I remember Kaunitz just you know doing some simple one step post moves. It was just stuff like that. It was just really 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 simple for them to score. Um, I mean there was one you know there was one sequence that I noted down. Um, Milano only down five, um, and this is where it wasn't just the Milano defense um, that that really killed them. You know they were down five. Um, 75 to 70. James cut through the lane, missed a layup. It was a tough layup. It was challenged, but it was a shot that you would expect would have expected him to have made. That would have made, made you know made them down only three. Was still a few minutes to go. Um, Mamatogli goes down the other end, gets an open three, scores it. James has a loose ball foul, two free throws, and then James commits another turnover around half court. Sinan Goulet gets an open layup. From down five to down thirteen, seemingly in the blink of an eye, and and after that it was just over. I mean, they just ran up, you know, went through the motions for the rest of the game. Um, just you know, just when you exp- when you have to make the set, you know, the big plays, when you have to keep things simple, when you have to to keep your head, they just. I don't know, man. There's no like, you know, for, for, for better or worse, for example, for that Panathinaikos team, Nick Kalafis is a floor general. Like, that dude will try and get the ball to where it needs to go. He will take responsibility. I just, I just don't know that there is like, you know, that kind of steadying influence on this Milan team. They look incredible um, when it's going well, when guys are making shots, you know, that they, they, they don't, they, they're not, you know, there are very few bad players on this team that just hasn't really added up. Um, into anything coherent and we've kind of had well we've had 29 rounds and rounds now and uh, just at this point you know you were hope I was hoping they would step up but it's just kind of like you know they are what they are at this point and yeah I don't know I mean yeah I just for the amount of money they've spent and the amount of talent on that team you you know you've you've I don't want to hammer home the point we, we should move on to to killing another team uh, in a couple of minutes which yeah. we might do and then hopefully finish by praising uh, by praising somebody else to keep it positive but yeah I just I just I keep wanting Milano to like make that statement that they're a serious contender for the playoffs and they're a serious team and they just they just keep you know they just keep failing to do so so yeah. disappointment there um yeah any any further thoughts before we move on yeah i was just going to put out uh the number that the euroleague supercomputer has come up with for their playoff odds uh there's still a 45 
0.3% chance to make the playoffs, which puts them behind Basconia at 93%, Panathinaikos at 76 and Zalgaris at 46 so just barely ahead of Milano. So right now they're projected to miss out, but uh, their odds are only slightly worse than Zalgaris. So if they get a win this week, uh, they'll need a little bit of help, but maybe they can maybe they can sneak in. They will be playing on the road at FS, who of course we just talked about has looked great. But uh, that's that's a you know another another team with a very good offense. It's going to be a shootout. Um, maybe <clears throat> you know maybe James is able to get hot again, and and they can win that and get a little help and sneak in. But uh, if I had my wishes, I. I don't really need to see Milano in the playoffs. I don't know. I, f- I feel like I would rather have like Zalgiris and Panathinaikos in there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I may have disagreed with that before last week, but I think, I think I'm finally there now. I think I'm finally ready to put them away. Yeah. Um, so they'll probably of, get in. Yeah, they, they'll definitely get in. <laughs> thank, thank me later, Milan fans. Um, so talking of teams that might get in and teams that might not get in, which is pretty much half the league uh, by this point, Olympiakos... Going down to Zalgiris at home, um, as you said at the top of the show last in a repeat of last year's playoff matchup, um, and this this game again was a game that I only saw the t- you know the tail end of the last five minutes of. But looking at the box score, Briante Weber, um, the Olympiacos uh, American guard, scored twenty six points. But Austin, you tweeted out a highly entertaining clip of uh, of Zalgiris center Brandon Davis. Um, encouraging him to get that shit out of there as he blocked him late on, blocked him twice in the last five and a half minutes. And again, like, I, I do feel sorry for the Olympiacos, uh, your organization and fans for the, for, the, um, for the injury problems. You know, they would not have drawn up at the start of the season their most important possessions um, being put in the hands of, you know, a guy that's coming from the D-League, it's his first Euro experience to my knowledge. Um, you know, that's probably not how they drew up their roster. You know, Stromiex is out, Spinulis we now know is out for the season. And hey, Weber scored 26 points. He must have done something right in the game, but just it, it just didn't look like they were going to score in those key possessions. And Zagreus managed to manufacture the points to, to get them the win. Austin, did you do you see this game, and, and how did you see this one developing? Yeah, yeah, I caught this one in full. It is unfortunate that you only saw Weber for those final five minutes because for the first 35, he was phenomenal. Uh, he's lightning quick. He can basically get to the rim at will. Uh, he was hitting three pointers. He was hitting pull up mid range jumpers. He was, uh, he's a he's a fantastic defender, which uh, is is what he was known for. He's not known necessarily. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's how I know guy. him anyway. Yeah, yeah. So he had like <clears throat> when he was in college. He was like, uh, like I think, like a three-time defensive player of the year in the Atlantic Ten, or or at least like three-time All Defense and second-team All Defense or something in the D League. Anyway, the the point is, he's known as a good defender, and he was deflecting a ton of passes in this game. He has really long arms, so I thought he was great overall. But yeah, just struggled struggled in those final few minutes, and. The problem with this Olympiacos team is that they just they just don't have enough guys. Uh, he was great. Milutinov was great. He had 18 points, 12 rebounds. There were a couple stretches where he was just completely dominating the game. Uh, he drew nine fouls. That was really the only way Zalgiris could contain him was just to foul him and then hope he missed free throws. Uh, so th- those two guys were great. But whenever Milutinov went to the bench, um, you know, 
just Zach Ladey was getting killed. Basically, whenever Milutinov wasn't on the floor, Zalgiris were able to score at the rim basically whenever they wanted, whether it was Brandon Davies or Deion Thompson or some of their wings like Aaron Wyatt and Marius Grigonis getting to the rim. There was just really no rim protection at all. So when Milutinov went out, that was what really killed them. And like Panathinaikos, they go through too many big dry spells offensively. So in, at the start of the second quarter, Zalgris started it with an 8-0 run. And then between the third and the fourth quarter, they went on a 14-0 run to make up that big deficit. And yeah, Westerman was looking really good. Grigonis, uh, he sealed, sealed the game late with four free throws. Uh, Davies stepped up defensively with those two blocks in the final five minutes on Weber. So definitely some positives to take away for, from Zalgiris. And of course, they got the win again in in Athens after beating Olympiakos on their home court last year uh, and, and eliminating them from the playoffs. So good performance overall from Zalgiris. The, the first quarter, it was funny. There was just like a lot of nervous energy on both sides. Like both teams were committing silly mistakes. Yasakevichis was just like constantly losing his shit. Like he was really you know, the, the, the entire first quarter. He was just like spinning around yelling. Like he, he was, he was furious. Like Thomas Walkup had a really bad game. And, and I think he uh, drew a lot of Saris's ire. Um, but yeah, Zalgaris, in the end, they were able to execute. They have more weapons than Olympiacos. That was kind of the difference late. Yeah, I mean, you said Olympiacos just doesn't have enough guys, at least you know, dressed and healthy. I mean, if you if you don't count fifty eight seconds from Bogris, this was a nine man rotation, and only seven of those guys scored. So you know, I I do I do feel for Weber. Like it, he, I mean, he was devastated at the end. That, I mean, you could tell. You know, he played nearly thirty four minutes. He, you could tell just just from the you know the, the bits I saw. You could tell that he put everything into that game. He was he was hustling so 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 hard. Maybe a little bit too hard at the end. Um, you know, maybe just you know more experience, a little bit more playmaking chops may have you know ob- obviously been a little bit more useful than just you know like all out war to get to the rim. Um, but yeah, so shout out to that dude. You know, I don't mean to kill him at all. You know, I think from what I've seen on on uh, of clips of him playing defense, both you know in the especially in the D League, um, definitely definitely a role for that kind of ball hawking defensive uh kind of wild card. Um but but maybe, you know, just just playing such heavy minutes as the sole playmaker or one of the sole playmakers um in a in a big early game like this just maybe a little bit too early in his career. But I think I think bright things ahead. Yeah, um, yeah, he that, he belongs for, for sure. Like there's yeah. there's no doubt yeah, about yeah. that. He belongs. The the problem for Olympiacos uh, it wasn't so much Weber or any or anything like that, even though he he came up short a little bit late. But the issue for them was their role players just gave them nothing. Uh, yeah, Axel Tupan, no points. Tupan, yeah, so, no points. Yeah, and Manzaris only three points on one of three yeah. shooting, and he was just getting roasted on defense. Like if if you're gonna score between zero and three points, you have to at least bring it on the defensive end, and those guys just weren't getting it done. Papa Nicolau the same, also only three points, and just made like some really boneheaded plays. Like it it was. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's been a weird year for this Olympiacos team. Just the role players who should, you know, they they don't have to be stars. Like they don't have to step up and do anything crazy. Just hit open shots, play good defense, and they weren't able to do either of those things. So that was yeah. that was kind of the problem here. For sure, for sure. I mean, I I kind of I jokingly floated on Twitter after these games that like that would be you know with with what we've discussed at, you know at the top of the show about 
like teams with nothing to play for, um, you know, playing in some of these games, they're going to going to decide playoff seeding. That you know, there'll be the inevitable conspiracy theories. And uh, I, again, apologies, I forget who replied to this. Basically said like, well, I can tell you the Olympiacos section of Twitter just doesn't care anymore, um, which I thought was kind of like. I mean, they are still alive, but it just seems like they're a defeated, a defeated bunch at the moment. Um, so without kind of uh, going in on that too much more, we've kind of done that last week. We've, uh, we've, we've, we've kind of pulled one out for Olympiacos this week as well. Um, shall we hear from, from our, our, our colleague, George Rowland? Um, George isn't able to join us um, on the mic this week, but... He he called in with a point he might he wanted to make, and here is George. Good evening, EuroLeague Adventures. My name's George from Bristol, and I'm a first-time caller, long-time listener. I've got a question in relation to the change in format and the playoff race. This year, we've seen relatively few games between the playoff contenders for those final few spots in the run-in, and this has potentially led to a slightly less boring time. Do you feel that the change in format is to blame for this? We've seen in the past with the top 16 format, both in kind of the, the groups of eight and the groups of four, there was often competitive games right up to the final week. This year, we've kind of resulted in some games where there are not really any between teams fighting for the playoff spots. You've got these teams playing teams that are adrift at the bottom or teams that have already sealed their playoff spot and even in some cases sealed their position or home court advantage. Do you think this is the fault of the uh, new schedules? Yeah, so I'm a little bit conflicted about this, where I do think that the longer season has taken away some of the drama, where in the previous format, you know, we had the teams fighting for the top 16, like they they were split into groups, and then the top four out of the 16 groups would advance to the top 16, and then the schedules would kind of reset they would play 14 games within their two groups and then uh, you know the top four in each group would advance and then we would have our eight teams for the playoffs. Uh, that was cool because it created some drama, but I do like how the new format is, you know, it, if you were a team like, for example, um, that started well earlier in the season and then you had a bunch of problems in the middle of the season with injuries and, and things like that, then you would, you would just kind of be screwed in the old format. You know, if you lost, like if you lost your best player for four games in the middle of the season last year, you would, you would, you know, be in trouble in danger of not making it out of the top 16. Whereas now I think like the best teams are definitely the ones that are advancing. You know, there's no like fluky teams getting in, but um, I guess maybe, maybe that was part of the fun a little bit where, you know, some teams you could have like, I guess more Cinderella type runs. Um, And the way the, the way the draw shakes out this year it's just like a weird scheduling quirk where we have like four or five teams with realistic shots at getting playoff games, but they don't play and they don't play each other at all this week. So it's just like, uh, it's a, it's a bit flat, you know, we don't have any like true playoff games this week to decide who's in and who's out. So that's a bit of a bummer, but I do think that's just kind of like a weird scheduling quirk. Like I wouldn't expect that to happen two years in a row or something. So I don't know, maybe it it does seem like a little bit flat. Um, it's going to be, weird watching these teams playing against uh you know teams that have already qualified or already been eliminated and and seeing if somebody's going to play the spoiler or maybe these teams will just rest all of their guys but 
Yeah. So anyway, that's my my long non-answer, I guess. Rob, Rob, what do you yeah. Think? <laughs> so I think I think I agree that like the 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 situation we've got this week where there aren't any kind of like direct elimination games I think is a quirk of the scheduling and I don't think could have been foreseen but I think it it feels particularly flat because this season um there's a combination of two factors that have kind of come together I do think the for, the new format is is already feeling a little bit tired um but I don't think that would have been as big a problem if it hadn't been for the fact that you, this year I just don't think there's the depth of talent to support 16 good teams um, I think the talent level has been a little bit down and is and is even more concentrated at the top of the league. So I think if we'd had a, a more dynamic, more, more just just kind of deeper, more talented Euroleague this season, um, you know, we, we that this would be less of an issue. Um, you know, un, unfortunately, you know, if that if the Datska team that had won Euro Cup and got the the spot had managed to stay together, that would be an entirely different question. Um, you know, so that's, and, and, you know, Granka, every, I mean, this reminds me of like, you know, the, the, the NCAA tournament where everybody wants, you know, the Cinderella's, everybody wants the upset. And then you get to the elite eight and you're like, wait, why am I watching? Like, I can't even think of a good example. Like, why am I watching this team that, 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 you know, but by the time you get to the big games, everybody wants it to be like Kentucky, Duke, Michigan state and whoever, do you know what I mean? Um, so I think there's, I think those two things have kind of coincided, but um, I also do think, and, and it's possibly because I'm I'm in my late thirties and I just you know have instantly just started reminiscing about things from years ago. But I, nothing is ever going to top the uh, the old old format of the top sixteen with four groups of four. Um, I mean that was basically like a like a pre playoff playoffs. Um, that that was incredible. Um, I I am not at all romanticizing that or, or looking back at it with nostalgia. It just I just it just was a better format to me. Um, but yeah, as I said, I, I think, I think that I, you know, I do worry a little bit about next year as well with 18 teams, but I think if you got the right 18 teams, if you'd had the right 16 teams this season, um, I think this would be a little bit less of a, of an issue, but Hey, I think, you know, after next week, um, you know, we'll all have forgotten about it. And I think we'll be looking forward to a great playoffs. Um, the one suggestion that I think they should do, and I know they never will, um, because of TV rights, uh, you know, with, with countries with more than one team, just have all the games at the same time. Like I know, I know it's never going to happen, but you know, drawing out this kind of like non-drama or, or um, diminished drama over two nights just just makes it that little bit less exciting. I think. I mean, it'd be a nightmare. People would be complaining about which game they'd want to watch. But hey, man, like just flick between, just flick between them all. Follow them on Twitter. It'd be you know the you know it'd be a great big uh, kind of thing that everybody could come together. And, uh, and, you know, maybe a little bit more like the old days where there was a little bit more, a little bit more discussion and a little bit more community feel around, uh, around EuroLeague Twitter. Um, but again, I'm just an old, an old man banging on about the good old days and how it used to be. Uh, yeah. So I see what you're saying, George. Uh, but I think, I think, I think, uh, I, I think next season without the scheduling quirk and hopefully we'll get, you know, a little bit more, uh, direct elimination games in, in the, in the last couple of weeks. And we could be looking at a, a very different picture. Yeah, I I think what really needs to happen, and this <clears throat> this probably won't, um, but I think it just needs to be like a twenty game season. Like thirty is too much. It's it's too long, um, and you know I I know the that some of the players enjoy it now because um, because like you know, everyone has to play everyone. Whereas under the old format, if you got drawn into a tough group and you had to play against a couple juggernauts or something, then maybe you're getting eliminated earlier than you should have. 
but um, and and that would be the issue with less games because not everyone would play everyone else twice. So you know, I can already picture like Panathinaikos fans screaming their heads off because they had to play Fenerbahce twice, and Olympiakos only had to play them once, and and shit like that. But oh, okay, 30, oh, 30, schedule. Yeah, thirty thirty yeah. games is just is just too much. Hmm. Um, yeah, like it's it's. I think I think that's the main issue uh more than anything is yeah and and we're that's why we get these points of the season like where between weeks like 18 and 29 like nobody really cares I guess you know it's just yep. like the the players are worn down uh we don't have the depth of talent like you mentioned to kind of support that you know when when guys get injured who's really stepping up behind them. It's, it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's just a grind of a season. And I, th- I think that's kind of the main issue. And I don't, don't, don't think that's going to get better anytime soon. It seems like it's going the other way. It's, it's kind of like the NBA grind without the depth of talent and the, the, the you know, the redistributive mechanisms that make the NBA, um, you know, compelling the year. I mean, that don't, I mean, I wouldn't even say the NBA is compelling all year round, but it has that ecosystem that, you know, enables, uh, you know, that grind of a season to, to keep on. Yeah. It's like, it's like in the NBA, at least you can still be excited right now, like about Trey young, like, but, but if, if, you know, what, what's there to be excited about in week, you know, 23 of EuroLeague right now, like that's, that's, I think the bigger issue, but, uh, yeah. 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 Anyway, let's move on. Although I'll, I'll just go on record. I'm, I'm not that excited about Trey young putting up points against D leaguers, but Hey, anyway, (laughs) let's move on. Uh, Team Luca, always. Um, so let's left after just saying that basically everything is boring and there's no point in, in paying attention <laughs> to anything. Let's have a look at some playoff possibilities. We've all, we already know the top five is set in stone in order from one to five. Fenerbahce, Seska Moscow, Real Madrid, Anadolu, Efes, and Barcelona. Then we have six teams for the final three spots. As we've already mentioned, the EuroLeague uh, Brain Trust Supercomputer has put together some possibilities. I'm just going to round these down because people lose track of too many numbers. Um, I'll round, round these to the nearest percentage, hopefully. Uh, we have Basconia with a 93% chance, Panathinaikos with a 76% chance, Zalgris 47, Milano 45, and the outliers, Olympiakos at 25%, and Maccabi, who we haven't even mentioned yet, with a 12% chance of making the playoffs. I give you those numbers because... Although EuroLeague have very, very helpfully given us um, a full table of the 43 tie-break, pros- tie-break possibilities and the 64 scenarios that could decide which team will advance, um, we're not going to get into any of them because it's just too complicated. So that's the kind of lie of the land. Um, we, can, we can go down the games. Um, Austin, I mean, should we, go, should we just go down the teams? Um, how, how, how do you want to do this? What, I mean, what, what, what is your gut telling you? Do you think, um, those percentage chances essentially ranked in order Basconia, Pounds, Algoris to, to grab the last three spots? Does that seem, does that follow the gut check for you or, or do you see a little bit of a surprise happening? I think that does make sense. And it also is the three teams that I would want to see in the playoffs. You know, uh, I love this Basconia team so much. Uh, and now Toko Shangelia is back. He didn't play against FS, but he just started practicing. He played over the weekend in the ACB. Uh, so now they're getting like a top three, top five EuroLeague player back in the mix. And with the playoffs starting in two weeks, he'll have a little bit more time to get back into game shape. So I already love this Basconia 
Estonia team with Vildoza, with Poirier, with all of these guys, now Toko coming back. So I really hope that they're able to get in and they have the easiest road. Basically, they're guaranteed to be in if they beat Seska on the road, which is not easy, uh, but they can also lose and still get in. Um, so I'm hoping Baskonia gets in. I would like to see Panathinaikos in. I think it would just be more entertaining to have this team with their crazy fans, with Nick Calathis, who's you know a top five player in the league, with Patino and just kind of that whole storyline. It'd be cool to see Panathinaikos in. Um and and they would just be an, an interesting, tough matchup for somebody. And then Zalgaris, um, you know, obviously they were the final four team last year. They don't have the same amount of talent. They don't have somebody like Kevin Pangos uh, this year, but I still like the team overall. It's still great to watch the plays that Yasakevich's draws up. Uh, Brandon Davies can go toe-to-toe with just about any big guy in the league. Um, so I'm hoping those are the three teams that get in because like Olympiacos, I don't want to see any more of this shit. Um, like I'm, I'm out. Uh, Milano, same thing. Like Mike James is cool, but I'm out. And Maccabi, meh. You know, they, they, they were cool at certain times this year. Like they're, they're an interesting team to watch. They had stretches where they were really good, but I don't necessarily want to see them just get swept by Fenerbahce, you know? So those are the three teams that I hope make it. Basconia, Panathinaikos, and Zagreus. I'm just having said I wasn't going to do this. I'm actually just going to look at the <laughs> scenarios. If I've understood this this colorful chart um, correctly on the Euroleague.net website, which which I am going to tweet a link out to because it is fantastic. Um, hats off to whoever generated this. It really is a work of art. Maccabi can grab that. There are various scenarios in which Maccabi can grab the eighth seed. Um, they all rely on them doing something relatively improbable, which is winning in Istanbul against Fenerbahce. If you think a Zalko Abranovic team is going to uh, just take the night off, I think you've got, an, you know, you've got a surprise in store. As we saw against Milano, they could play, you know, these, these, this, this is such a deep team. They could play the bench guys for long stretches and still come away with a win. But it's not, given, given you know, Fener's struggles, as we've kind of alluded to this week and last week, it's not completely impossible that Maccabi might pull off an upset. Um, and you, you, you actually you can if you hit, listen closely on the track you can actually see the hear the cogs in my brain turning. Um, let's take a look at that. So I think Panathinaikos would need to win, Madrid would need to win, Maccabi would need to win, and Datska would need to beat Olympiakos, which Isn't... is again not an impossibility at all. So although there's only a twelve percent chance on according to the you know the, the calculations, I wonder how much of that is based on the statistical improbability of Datska winning, um, which you know, I, I mean I could see that you know I I could I, I wouldn't bet on it. I would still think that Olympiakos would have enough, but I mean that could that could happen, right? Yeah, we're not ruling it out. Yeah, totally. I mean, Dachka have been really bad all season, but they did just beat Bayern Munich and eliminated Bayern yep. Munich. So it's not like they, uh, you know, it's it's not like they're gonna just rest all their guys or something like that. Like they're gonna come out and, and try to play spoiler. So I could definitely see that happening. And yeah, it's, that, it's um, 
Yeah, it's definitely more realistic, I think, than uh, like Budujnas beating Panathinaikos because Budujnas are in the middle of the Adriatic League semifinals right now. And game three is on Sunday. That's the, the decisive game in that. And they're trying to defend their title in the Adriatic League. So they might actually rest some guys against Panathinaikos because they have a much more important game coming up on Sunday. So I think if either of those Greek teams were to blow another game at home, uh, Olympiakos seems much more likely to lose than Panathinaikos. Yeah, for sure. There are, I will say for completeness, there are other scenarios in which Maccabi gets in, but I think basically, you know, I think most of them involve, well, I think maybe all of them involve them winning and Olympiakos losing. Um, I haven't scanned all 64, but I think that's, that's what, that's what this, this, this chart is showing me right now. So that's what I'm going to go with. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would, you know, if, I mean, this is why I probably, um, I'm not in charge of doing things like this for EuroLeague and I'm and I've have an unsuccessful sports betting career so far, but it seems to me like I would give that more than a twelve percent chance, but you know, this is maybe this is a sucker's bet. I don't know. Um yeah, I mean what what else what else can we glean from from the final week? Um what what do you think is gonna be the most the most the most dramatic game? I mean, I think FS versus Milano has the potential for fireworks. Um, although I'm reading here that FS has won all 12 games between them in Istanbul this century, including one on a miraculous full-court buzzer beater by Zoran Planinic. Oh, man, remember Zoran Planinic? Uh, where did he go? In 2014. So history, not on Milano's side, but, you know, they, as we said, they, they, can, they can get hot. Um, if they go up big, maybe FS, you know, with, with nothing to play for, kind of shuts it down mentally. You know, you, you could see all these things happening. Yeah, that one will be interesting for sure. I think uh, Basconia at Seska is going to be interesting because Seska are another one of those teams where even if they rest some guys or you know play guys 20 minutes instead of 30 minutes, they're such a, a good team that that won't make much of a difference. Um, so that one will be really interesting. Zalgiris on the road at Real Madrid. Similar situation where Real Madrid's big guy or uh, Real Madrid's backups are just as good as in most other teams starters. Um, so that's going to be really tough for Zalgiris. And yeah, it's interesting that a lot of these teams have to go on the road to get a win. You know, Panathinaikos and Olympiakos are at home, but Basconia, Milan, Maccabi, Zalgiris, all four of those teams are on the road. So that's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who's able to kind of keep their nerve and step up in a potentially hostile environment as opposed to having their home fans behind them. So, uh, well, I, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, just in, we've talked a little bit throughout this podcast about the symmetry, you know, of Olympiakos, Zalgiris, et cetera, et cetera, Panathinaikos, Real Madrid. There's of course a a delicious, um, symmetry in this final game. Um, the little, the little snapshot fact on the EuroLeague website about Real Madrid hosting Zalgiris is Madrid has beaten Zalgiris nearly every time the Blancos have won 18 of their 19 EuroLeague games this century uh, in this fixture. Um, Zalgiris's solitary success came in the top 16 in 2014 on the back of 36 points from Justin Dentman. Um, if, you're, if you're raising your eyebrows and were thinking, how did Justin Dentman score 36 points in a EuroLeague game? I think that was the time where Madrid, again, had absolutely nothing to play with and were accused by pretty much 100% of uh, Olympiacos fans on Twitter of deliberately losing so they could get Olympiacos in the playoffs. Of course, Milan eliminated Olympiacos in that playoff series. Um, again, if Madrid... I, I, think the, 
I think the permutations for Madrid to literally pick their opponent may be too complex and not known by the time they play this game. But if they, let's say, took, took it easy in this game and that had the potential to eliminate, eliminate Olympiacos again, I mean, just the trolling potential of this, of this matchup is, is just, I mean, you couldn't make this shit up. Yeah, and if anybody would do it, it would be Rudy and Real Madrid and all those guys, right? Like exactly. I mean, just, League... <laughs> if you needed a pantomime villain, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty perfect. Euroleague Twitter would Ru- love nothing more than to slam Rudy Fernandez for throwing this game somehow. I mean, like he goes, he you know he goes into Oaxaca, he he steals the game on the buzzer. He 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 then takes out the other side of Athens. I mean that that you know and and again against Zalgiris, a team which he has uh, you know a, an interesting history of fan relations. Um, although you know I'm firmly Team Rudy on that with that particular battle. Um, you know I just think Madrid Madrid I think really um, when when they when they started to embrace their their kind of slight heel. You know, t- took that heel turn when Rudy just embraced his his uh, his 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 destiny as a wrestling villain. Um, it just made it just made the league a hell of a lot more entertaining. And I and I, of course, you know, would would hope for sportsmanship above all. Of course, as a as a respectable podcaster, but hey, I mean, this would just be hilarious if Zagreus wins this game by twenty five. This is just going to be hilarious. Yeah, I, I actually prefer it to be a close game, and then Rudy just dribbles out the clock instead of taking a potential game-winning <laughs> shot. That's that's my uh, that's my ideal outcome. Abs- absolutely. Um, well, I mean, as I said on Twitter last week, I'm just glad that they they got rid of the uh, um, after that Maccabi Datska game from the uh, end of the regular season the other year. I'm just glad they they make sure that overtime points don't count for tie breaks because. Can can you just? I mean, can you just imagine the the, the insanity that might that might entail this week? Um, I think I think that's pretty much uh, all I've got to say, um, Austin. Um, before we wrap up, have you any uh, any final thoughts about round thirty? No, I think it's going to be interesting. As much as we were just talking earlier about how the playoff race has been kind of boring overall, it is going to be a pretty fascinating final week. I wish we had some like straight up elimination games. Like I wish we had Basconia versus Milan or Zalgiris versus Panathinaikos or something like that this week. But hey, what can you do? Uh, it's it's still going to be interesting. And yeah, I'm excited for the regular season to wrap up so we can look ahead to the playoffs and do some playoff previews and predictions and all that fun stuff. But the regular season is is gotten a bit stale. I'm ready for it to be over. This last week's going to be exciting, and then we'll move on to the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely echo that. We'll we'll be back with, with another podcast next week. Can we make it three in a row? Time will tell. Plans are afoot. Um, we'll do our best is all I'll say. No, we'll we'll make that promise. We'll be back uh, we'll be back to preview the playoffs next week when we know all the matchups. Um, nothing left to say nothing more left to say this week other than thanks Austin for joining us. Thank you, George, for calling in from Bristol. Um, so on behalf of those two guys and me, Rob Scott. Thanks for listening to the EuroLeague Adventures podcast, and we'll catch you next time.